This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting, Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Good morning. Happy Tuesday. Good start to the week yesterday. Mariners get the win over the Twins 7-6, to and they, they hang on. It was a little stressful there after that three-run homer, but they hang on to win. Good start to the week there. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a lot of football today, though, because uh, you don't have Brock. You don't have Salk. You do have me, Mike Lefko, and Brady Henderson. Welcome back from, uh, what, parts unknown, abroad, all over Europe. You were just all over that continent. How, how did that trip go? Oh, it, yeah, it was great. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for having me, by the way. It's good to be back here. Uh, yeah, I was in, uh, I guess you would technically call it the British Isles. So mm. three days in London, two days in Dublin, two days Northern Ireland, uh, two days in Lytham and St. Anne's, which is like the seaside town in uh, western coast of England. So, yeah, no uh, no major mishaps. I did get sick, which tends to happen to me like every time I go on an international trip. And so aside from that, it was great. The golf was great. Uh, just the experience, which is, you know, just I, I like traveling abroad just to kind of see different places and experience different um, you know, cultures and uh, play some golf too. That's a big part of it as well. So it was fun. I was going to say, was this was this purely a golf trip? You wanted to hit all those historic courses. It, it was. It was only partly a golf trip. So I, I played uh, a couple of the you know courses that are in the British Open or have been in the British Open uh, rotation, which timing is great. Doing it a month before the Open. Um, so I played Royal Portrush, which is in Portrush, Northern Ireland. And then I played Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. Port Rush has hosted the Open a few times, most recently in 2019 when Shane Lowry won it. And they're going to have it, I think, in a couple years again. And then Royal Lytham in St. Anne's has had it like a dozen times over the last 100 years, most recently in 2012. So uh, these courses, man, it, it, playing those, it really makes you appreciate sort of what those guys do when, when they're playing the British Open and just how tough that is and how different it is from the golf that we're used to playing here. So uh, it was partly a golf trip. I played three rounds at those two courses, and then uh, I saw a couple concerts, two of my favorite bands, uh, one being The War on Drugs, which I've successfully gotten Mike Salk into. He's, okay. he's, a, he's a big fan now. So, Well, I was going to say, I think the, uh, the ranked diehards, the ranked fanatics, more duly being one of them, uh, will like... The biggest fanatic <laughs> yeah, of all the ranked yeah, fanatics. Yeah, uh, will like the return to form because uh, you're going to do your version of that. And what are we doing here? The top five... The top five... English fans, okay. yeah. So not not British fans. We're talking strictly Just from England. England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and that's coming up a little bit earlier, actually. So if you're tuning in at 9.45, you will not get that. It's happening at 9.30 because at 9.45, we have Jeremy Fowler, your colleague, who will join us to talk about uh, an interesting, massive off-season project that ESPN put together with these top 10 lists. Every position, the final one comes out today. We'll we'll look because I I assume it's coming out during our show here. The, it's the already out. It's already out. Yeah. Oh, there's a spoiler. Okay. It's out. I, it's I out. read it while you drinking read it. my coffee I this got, morning. Yep. All right. Well, now, now I know what I'm doing during the break. So the wide receiver list is out. That's the final one. We are going to talk about that uh, at 7:30. Then we're going to talk to Jeremy Fowler about it at 9:45. Uh, Bucky Brooks will join us for some football talk as well at 8:30. But yeah, the the golf trip. Were you on kind of a a British Open scouting tour. Did you play the course? So they're they're playing the British Open at this week. No, no. I mean, it's it, these courses are actually surprisingly accessible. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of them are private clubs that open up uh, to the public. I think some of them are actually public as well. But I mean, you can 
for as you know prestigious as they are, like you can get on there if you are willing a to you know pay the money that it costs, which is kind of a lot, and then also you know willing to book far enough uh, in advance. And so I, I knew that I wanted to play a couple of those courses that have hosted the British Open or, or that you know still do host it that are still in the rotation. And so I just made a list and went down and sort of tried to figure out, okay, what's accessible, what is not, like, you know, crazy, crazy expensive, uh, and then what makes sense with where I'm going to be when. And so um, you, you can't play, I mean, I, Royal Liverpool, which is where they're having the Open this week, that was off limits just because they're, you, you can't play there two weeks before the Open. That's just, you know, they're setting the course up and everything, and I don't even know if members can play it right now. Um, but, you know, there were a few others, like Royal St. George's, which is on the other side of England, um, and then all the ones in Scotland, it, I, you know, I just didn't really make sense to travel wise to go to Scotland. So uh, the two that I played made the most sense. Even with St. Andrews looming over there. Uh, yeah. It didn't make sense to go yeah. to Scotland. Huh? So St. Andrews <laughs> is, I mean, that's the one that everybody thinks about when you think about yeah. Lynx golf and British Open courses. Um, and because of that, I think it's the hardest one to get on. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think, I don't know if it's any more expensive than the other ones, but like, I know there's something like a lottery system that you have to enter in. I don't think you can just call them and get a tee time like normal. I think because everybody wants to play it, you've got to either enter into a lottery and hope that your group wins the lottery or show up at like three in the morning and wait in line and hope that they, you know, at some point, five hours later, call your name. So I didn't want to mess with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I that, can't. That's a trip for another time. I, I can't blame you. I, uh, that's kind of my goal in trying to get to Wimbledon eventually because for you with golf is me kind of with tennis so that's on the bucket list but it is a chaotic process of waiting for tickets trying to get lucky in a lottery or then uh, lining up for hours or sometimes even days have you tried in there no so I haven't been over there yet for Wimbledon so that eventually that'll be uh that'll be the trip maybe next summer yeah and that was that was just this past weekend Yeah. yeah yeah so that's early July goes for a couple of weeks so maybe if you're over there next summer you're doing your golf thing I'll be over at Wimbledon and yeah. we'll meet up somewhere along the way. We'll get a pint. We'll get a pint. That's what oh. they do over there. Actually, gin and tonics or pints. I was going to say, is is it true? Is the beer, like, warm? Is it room temperature? That's the myth there is that they serve at room temperature. Uh, gosh. I mean, in in Dublin, like, I went to the Jameson, not the Jameson, the, the Guinness. Uh, the Ooh, Guinness. I want to do that, yeah. Yeah, the Guinness, mm-hmm. like, factory, the distillery. I think they call it the Guinness Storehouse, but it's, like, the original Guinness uh, brewery. Why am I struggling? Maybe because it's, it's 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's fine. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, we, Maura and I were talking about this yesterday. This, I, came, I came on, it was a Monday, and I, I couldn't spit words out. Yeah. I was fumbling over words. I said a word that I wasn't sure if it was an actual word. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's 6 a.m. on a Monday. I'm not used to that. All right. We'll get fingers hovering yeah, over the dump us. button right now yeah. for me. Um, there we go. Well, you don't have a dump button. We'll let them do that. But. Okay. Okay. Uh, yes, but Guinness, the storehouse, mm-hmm. the original brewery there. I mean, I think generally Guinness is served not quite as cold as as other beers. It is uh it's really good. That's my big takeaway from the yeah, Guinness is really <laughs> right, good. Right like you don't source, really yeah. appreciate it like having it over here, at least I didn't. Uh it's really good. And it and it was like fresh uh, it's probably no fresher like at the distiller or at the brewery than it was at the pubs, but for some reason it just tasted better like at the brewery, and it was really the first time I actually appreciated how good Guinness is. Yeah, it's probably like when you eat seafood here or in any coastal seafood city, you're like, I know that it's still probably fresh a little ways inland because they do a lot to ship it there, but when I can see the actual ocean I'm eating my fish out of, it just yeah. tastes a little bit better. Yeah. Well, and, and that that is an instance where, like, you know that it is actually going to be better. Like, I'm, I'm not going to go to, like, you know, 
uh, Indiana, St. Louis, mm-hmm. and eat you know seafood. That just sounds like bad, bad idea. Um, but yeah, you know the Guinness is is really good, especially at the source. Wow, that sounds like a fun trip. Do you kind of do that knowing? Okay, I'm about to settle into the grind. I mean, training camp is yeah. next week. Uh, we were talking about this. Like, wow, uh, it's a week away at, at this point, pretty much. And I know teams are reporting today. A lot of teams have their rookies report today. So, do you just kind of know? All right, I got to clear the head, reset, and then uh, do you have a routine now for training camp? Like, do you? You psych yourself up. Do you have some snacks you bring? Because these are these are long days that we go through out there. You know, the Seahawks, it's really like a first-class organization in every way. And so, thankfully, they usually provide us with food uh, and snacks and obviously water during training camp. So, typically, don't have to bring food to training camp. Um, but in terms of, like, psyching myself out, I, I, I don't really have to do that. Like, I, yesterday, I, I definitely will have to get ready for it, and I will have to kind of switch modes because, you know, the six weeks between – mid-June and late July when training camp begins. I mean, that is sort of the summer break for anybody in the NFL, whether you're actually playing it or coaching it or, in my case, you know, covering it. Like, there's not a whole lot that goes on. And that's why, as I'm sure you know, these lists... Try try to talk football here for four hours, six weeks. These lists, you know, from people like Jeremy Fowler and others, these are just godsends because they give you something to to bridge that gap. But... um, so it is. There is kind of a shift of like, okay, it's sort of like being back in in school where um, summer breaks over and like now you know now it really begins. Now the difference is, um, you know, covering the NFL is a lot more fun than going to class. Uh, but there is kind of a mindset mindset shift that has to take place. Yesterday I went to uh, what is it Office Depot? Is that the store? Yeah. And uh, I was looking for reporter notepads. Oh, they didn't wow. have the ones I like, so I was actually going to go upstairs during the break and. Uh, okay. Take one. Hope that's okay. No one, no one heard that. No, yeah. Brad, these are your supplies. I mean, you used to just roam in these in this building, so uh, these supplies are yours. I Thank think. You. I, just, I, I imagine all I'm asking for is one reporter notepad. <laughs> I write small one enough; reporter. it'll get me through the entire season. Do you need like there are some bigger size ones? So I used to love when I covered college football media days. They have perfect like larger size notebooks. I think I might still have some. All right, we'll dig through some notebooks. We'll get into okay. some notebook talk. Uh, a lot of NFL talk coming your way, but a couple key things you need to know, including one thing about the Seahawks uniform release so we're going to weigh in on that coming up next it is the brock and salk show mike lefko and brady henderson here on seattle sports and the seattle sports app need to know 15 minutes past every hour with brock and salk here's what you need to know up first the mariners grabbed the lead in a four-run fifth and then held on for a seven to six win in the opening game of this four-game series against the twins You've got to get him thinking the right things because if you don't, it isn't going to flip. We were able to flip the game tonight. There have been many games this year that we haven't been able to flip. We did it tonight because we finally committed to, you know what, we're going to stay inside the ball here and try to hit some balls the other way. Keltnick's single was beautiful. It doesn't have to be hit hard. You just got to stay on it, and he did a great job with it. So um, nice for us to get the results. Again, Minnesota's got a really good team. They can really pitch. It's not going to be easy throughout the series. you got to take advantage when you're putting an inning together, and, and we were able to do it tonight. I think we scored six runs with two outs tonight. That's what it takes against a good pitching staff. So some good news on the broadcasting front as well. Mike Blowers returned to the TV booth, and Rick Riz, not sure if you, you heard about this, you see ATV accident. I saw Riz. that. Yeah, that was awful. Yeah, good for him. they still getting out on ATVs. But everyone's a little, a little nervous about that. But he gave an update yesterday on uh, Cairo FM, our sister station, on Gian Ursula, on uh, kind of what happened and how he's feeling. And all of a sudden, I wasn't in the uh, side-by-side anymore. I came out and hit my head and banged up my neck and back pretty good. I suffered a 
broken vertebrae in my neck and two bro broken vertebrae in my back, a fractured rib, you know, pretty gash on my head. But I've been, I've been better, but I'm, I'm recovering. I'm doing great. Uh, I went to a spine specialist. I went, Nick got me to the hospital right away as fast as he could from Blue Pass to Swedish and uh, as well. And they got me cleaned up and I went home and then uh, I saw a spine specialist a couple of days ago. And he took a look at my x-rays and MRI. And as soon as he walked in the room, he said, Mr. Riz, you're a lucky man. And, but the good news is that you don't need surgery. So I'm so grateful. Yeah, stay safe there, Rick. I mean, get better, get better soon. Uh, sounds like a very scary situation and glad it wasn't much worse. I mean, you can really have a bad situation there on those ATVs. Yeah, you really can. And, you know, I, I started working here uh, at the station, started basically my journalism career uh, in 2010. And since then, I have not met, literally, I have not met a nicer person in this entire industry than Rick Riz. So glad that he's doing better and hopefully he can make a, a quick and full recovery. Yeah, I think every time I see him, it's a smile and then a very excited, hey, how you doing, yeah. Mikey? So, yeah, get better soon, Riz. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, I guess we have a Quandre Diggs newsbreaker because uh, he broke the news. The Seahawks are releasing their throwback uniforms tomorrow. And then Quandre also said he might have a sneak peek today. The Seahawks gave a very specific time, an 8.32 a.m. release. So get ready for that tomorrow. What do you think about these? How excited are you to see these throwback uniforms? Oh, yeah, 832. That's an interesting I, and very I don't specific know. time. Oddly I don't, specific there. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a long time coming. Um, uh, you know, I, ideally, they would have done this last year when they played, you know, the AFC West teams because, you know, those, oh, when yeah. they were back mm-hmm. in the AFC West, I, I from what I understand, there was maybe like an issue with, you know, the supply chain and actually getting all the jerseys ready to be sold for retail. And so maybe that's why they waited this year. I, I'm not entirely sure on that, but. Uh, whatever the reason, these jerseys are really, really cool. Like some of the best throwbacks. I know fans have been asking me for years, and I'm sure other people on the beat. Um, when are they going to bring the throwbacks back? The issue, uh, I think, had to do with the helmets. And the NFL had this rule about, you know, only not only having one the helmet. One, right. And when the helmets are different colors, and you can't really switch back and forth. And so uh, really cool uniforms. Now, the fact that they are unveiling them. Uh, suggest that there's going to be a tweak to them, right? Because it, why would you? Well, it's, un- mo- it's got to be a modern twist, yeah, right? You right. have modern materials, you have a modern look. So I imagine it will not be the same '90s gear, fabrics, and style. You yeah. might have this. I think on a lot of these, you've seen like the stripes come up a little bit higher now because yeah. that's how players wear the uniforms. But it is funny. What do you think about the kind of late '80s, '90s nostalgia coming back across the league too? Because those Bucks creamsicle uniforms—they were so hated because they were so bad in them. Now everyone loves them with the Falcons red helmets, and now with the Seahawks yep. uniforms, it's just nostalgia is a powerful and, thing. And and style, I think, is very cyclical. And like the you know the, the clothes that our parents were wearing when we were growing up, we would like they would make us cringe. And now it's those are the in clothes. Everybody's trying to look like, you know, their mom and dad from the 80s. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited for this jersey reveal. And you're right. There's, there's got to be something sort of tweaked and updated about them. Yeah, well, let's see. Maybe Quandre will give us a, a sneak peek like he promised today. But, yeah, that's coming tomorrow, 832. So everyone wake up, get ready, stay tuned. Make sure you're around some form of media when uh, they get unveiled. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, the deadline to sign franchise tag players in the NFL came and went yesterday. 
No long-term deal signed by three big running backs, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, and Tony Pollard. And then prominent running backs start to weigh in around the league with their frustration about the devaluation of the position. So you saw Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and Christian McCaffrey all tweet out. They're kind of disgusted about what's happening with this position. I mean, not a good situation right now for an NFL running back in the league. No, but not really a new one. I mean, I, I think this has been going on for a while, it, at least in terms of guys getting second contracts. I mean, you're still seeing running backs get taken in the first round. There were two of them this year. The Seahawks obviously drafted Rashad Penny uh, in the first round a few years ago. It's really about those guys getting the second contracts and getting the type of of money that, you know, is commensurate with their production. And, um, you know, of the three that did not get deals, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, um, and remind me of the other one, Tony Pollard. The, The one that surprises me there is Josh Jacobs just because, you know, you could look at from the team's perspective, the other two guys, you know, Saquon Barkley, maybe the most talented running back in the league. But that's He's got a long injury history, and you can understand why the Giants would be reluctant to pay him. Tony Pollard um, hasn't really been the full-time guy because they've had Ezekiel Elliott there, uh, who is now gone. But, you know, he, he hasn't been – he hasn't handled the same workload as the other guys. Josh Jacobs has had 3,000-yard seasons in four years, and he had a pretty good – you know, the other one was like eight, 900 yards, so he was right on the cusp there uh, and had his best season last year. So he was the one guy of those three that I thought would have the best chance at getting a long-term deal, but no deal. Well, we're going to get into that conversation uh, a little bit more at 7 because it doesn't really bode well for the future of the position, and you do have some high-profile names coming out and expressing their kind of disgust. So we'll, we'll talk about what that means and where the game is going from seeing guys like this and uh, a guy like Dalvin Cook who's still unsigned. But one more thing you need to know, Shohei Otani hit his MLB-leading 35th home run of the season. That tied the game in the 7th against the Yankees. They then walked them off in the 10th. And the Rangers won on a walk-off as well, a wild pitch to beat the Rays 3-2. to two. So a lot of football talk coming your way, but uh, coming up next, we're going to catch up with David Schoenfield, ESPN senior MLB writer, to get his thoughts on the Mariners' first half of the season and what they need to do in the second half to get into contention for that playoff push. It's the Brock and Salk Show, Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson, here on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We're rolling along here on a Monday. Mike Lefko and Maura Dooley with you. And joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, ESPN senior MLB writer David Schoenfield. And David, you all churned out some... Great content after this all-star break. Uh, First half grades, second half projections. I do want to ask you first uh, about these grades. You guys did an article, first half grades for all 30 teams, and you said C-minus for the Mariners. And I think, yeah, that's fair. I think we'd all agree here. Um, I want to talk about what you referenced with Larry Stone's article when you said, could this be one of the more disliked teams in Mariners history? What what do you think about that? In your opinion, is this a disliked team? due to the expectations or just because, you know, they haven't lived up to everything that people expected? Yeah, it's all about the expectations. And I give credit for to Larry for taking a, a very strong stance. Yeah. And that article came out a few weeks ago. And they played a little better, you know, after that came out, heading into the break. And then, of course, they kind of blew it this series against a bad Detroit team. But, yeah, no, the team itself isn't 
I don't find it unlikable at all. Certainly it's disappointing from the World Series hopes we had going to the I say we because, as you guys know, I grew mm-hmm. up in Seattle. I'm yeah. a Mariners fan, so I know the history all too well. Um, so, yeah, it was really the first time in 20-plus years where – this was what Mariner fans expected. The playoffs would not be good enough. It's a deep run and hopefully a World Series run. So when the team is scuffling at 500, yeah, welcome to the reality of sports. They they uh, punch you in the stomach sometimes. <laughs> well, I noticed that the the playoff odds in your piece have the Mariners at just – 17%. But as you also mentioned in your story, they're hardly out of it yet because other teams keep faltering and kind of keeping them in it. What would you say is the biggest reason for optimism for Mariners fans in the second half, if you had to pick one? Yeah, I think if you look at the lineup, right? Julio Rodriguez, not performing as well as he did last year. Ty France, not performing as well as last year. Cal Raleigh, not hitting home runs and hitting as well as last year. Teoscar Hernandez not hitting as well as he did with the Blue Jays. Eugenio Suarez not hitting as well as last year, right? So these are your five supposed best hitters, the core of your lineup, and they're all below what they did a year ago. So it's not unrealistic to expect at least two or three of those guys to have better second halves. Now I'm also looking at the AL strikeout leaders, and four of the top eight are Mariners. Uh, three of those guys, Hernandez and Suarez and Julio and Jared Kelnick. So we know what the offensive problems are. It's, it's a lack of contact. In fact, I discovered this little stat. The Mariners have four guys, those four hitters, on pace for 180-plus strikeouts. Only one team in MLB history has ever even had two in one season. So, like, you guys are watching all these games. You know the problems. Um, can that be resolved? Because if it's not, they're going to continue to struggle to, to score runs. So it's easy to say, oh, put the ball in play. But, um, you know, they got to figure out a way to do that a little more often. David, when you do look at uh, Julio's numbers and the fact that, yeah, after the burst onto the scene, superstar potential that we saw last year, that he is just uh, kind of mediocre so far this year. And he's a second-year player. Maybe that's to be expected. When you throw the face of the franchise label on him and you give him that big contract, I know the expectations and the, the weight becomes much more. Do you think Julio is capable of having another breakout kind of stretch like he did last year, or is he going to kind of be in the the grind of it this season and really have to struggle to find that superstar notch they did a year ago? Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm shocked at at what's happened because what he did over the last four months last year at such a young age, you go through baseball history, players who hit like that when they were 21 years old, the future is unlimited. And that's what the Mariners saw when they gave them the big contract. That's what everybody saw. That's what national magazine saw when they're putting them on the cover. Um, so yeah, I'm surprised that he's failed to make these adjustments and it's the oldest approach in baseball, you know, hard stuff inside breaking balls away. And he just hasn't made the adjustments. Now this is a corny way to put it, but Maybe that all-star at bat where he really had that great at bat, was willing to take the walk with the game on the line. Could one at bat like that sort of just register and turn his season around? I don't know. Probably not. But maybe we can hope so and that things will sink in. And obviously he knows what he has to do. But 
again, it's easy to say, hard to make those adjustments. You know, we know the tools are there. We know he's done it before. So, yeah, I think he'll be better, you know, whether he's going to go on this monumental hot streak. You know, let's be honest. We just haven't seen signs that that's going to happen. Well, the the Astros are starting to stack up injuries, and the Rangers were faltering before the break. And then you've got the Angels kind of giving the Astros a tough time this weekend. They're only a half game behind the Mariners. Um, it kind of seemed like the Rangers were running away with this in the first half, but do you see the AL West becoming a closer race down the stretch? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, the Rangers, they really scuffled going into the break. Their pitching was kind of finally starting to falter. But then they go and they swept Cleveland this weekend. I think they had a couple of late uh, rallies in that game. Uh, look, they can score runs. You know, I think they're leading the AL in runs, right? You know, that lineup, it's pretty lethal top to bottom. I got to think they're going to add a starting pitcher, um, maybe a reliever at the trade deadline. They have a what's viewed as a pretty good farm system. So they have those prospects to make deals. So I don't know if they can play quite as well as they did the first half, but they have staying power Houston. I don't know if you guys saw that game last night where they <laughs> rallied yeah. late to, to beat the Angels. That was a crusher for Mariners fans. Yeah, Houston's got to get healthy. Your Don Alvarez is out. Um, you know, a couple started starting pitchers out for the season. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. They don't really have a, a great farm system, so they're going to be somewhat limited in their ability to make a trade. Uh, but it's the Astros, and I know talking to my colleague uh, Buster Olney when he was out in Seattle at the All-Star Game, he was saying the Astros players are very, very confident, which, of course, they should be. They win every year. So I think Houston is certainly expecting they're going to make a run and win the division. But, yeah, I think I think if Seattle – they be, if the Mariners can do a streak where they win 12 out of 15, and that's what they have to do, it can be a three-team race. Odds are slim. They're eight back, I think, of Texas. Um, but – I'm not ruling out that this turns into a three-team race. Well, David, as we hurdle towards this uh, trade deadline, the question becomes Otani. <laughs> and the Angels, you know, they've been adamant that they're not going to trade him. They're not going to trade him as long as they think they're in contention. Well, uh, everything picked up steam during the All-Star break because the Angels just completely fell on their face going into the end of that first half. And now after a series loss to the Astros, maybe it picks up steam again. What do you see happening with Otani at the trade deadline? Yeah, it is. Look, it's a lot of fun, especially in my job, your job, to speculate about an Otani trade and who can get him and what it would take to to, to acquire him. I think the people in the in the game, and I know my colleagues reported this during the ESPN game last night. Artie Moreno's calling the shots here. You know, from a pure baseball perspective, the Angels, their playoff odds are pretty slow, are pretty low. You know, the odds of him returning to Anaheim, I think, are slim. So they probably should trade him. But I don't think Artie Moreno wants to be the guy who traded Shohei Otani. Because, look, they still have to hold out hope they can re-sign him. Even if that's 2%, 3%, you don't want to give that up. And if you trade him, you can pretty much shut the door completely uh, on that option. So I think he ends up, you know, sticking with the Angels to the end of the season. And yeah, look, they're only six out of the wild cards, so they're not completely out of it. I don't think they're very good. I think Seattle's a better team and more likely to make a run. Um, but if I had to 
make a prediction, I think he stays with the Angels. Well, sticking with talking about trades, you kind of noted in your piece that we shouldn't expect any big moves at the trade deadline. What kind of moves would you like to see them make? For Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys would probably know what kind of rumors are floating around there. And the Mariners front office, you know, keeps a pretty tight ship there. I think realistically, you mentioned those playoff odds. And there, I think I looked at fan graphs this morning, they're at 13%. History tells us the teams that usually make the biggest moves of the trade deadlines are already the teams in first place. They're looking to just reinforce um, their potential to win a World Series. When you're scrambling from behind and the odds are low, usually you don't see front offices make, you know, a big splash. So I don't, and look, the Mariners, their farm system isn't rated um, super high. So, for the best players who may or may not be available, they're going to get most likely outbid. So I think it's going to be a small move, maybe a bullpen arm, you know, depending on what they expect innings wise from Bryce Miller. Uh, maybe they add another starter. I don't know what the update is on Marco Gonzalez. If maybe they're hoping they get well, him back. Two um, weeks in a row when we've asked Jerry DePoto, he said, uh, <laughs> is there an update? He says nothing. There's no update. Yeah, so, so it doesn't sound not great. good news. Yeah, so with, with Miller and Brian Wu on potential innings limits, they might run out of starts, you know, come come September. Um, so, But are they going to get a Marcus Stroman or a Lucas Giolito, somebody like that? Probably not. But there might be some, you know, veteran starter they can get for, you know, a low-level prospect. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect a big, a big move. ESPN senior MLB writer David Schoenfield is with us here on uh, the Brock and Salk Show this morning. David, we're, uh, we're going to see a lot of the Twins coming up. The Mariners and Twins <laughs> play each other seven times in the next ten games. Uh, what's your take on the Twins? Because we were just talking, more and I, earlier about how similar they feel to the Mariners. The very disappointing yeah. offense, but an incredible pitching staff. Uh, is that kind of what you see there, that this Twins team, kind of like the Mariners, are just they're fueled by their pitching? Yeah, I mean, you talk about disappointed fans. Twins fans should be even more disappointed because you got – three terrible teams in the AL central and you got Cleveland who's had injuries. Um, they haven't hit at all. Minnesota really should be completely running away with that division. And they're not. Yeah. You mentioned, I think last time I checked, they, their pitching rotation leads the uh, majors and strikeout rates. So very good starting rotation. They just haven't hit Carlos Correa had that, you know, journey in the off season on who he's going to sign with. He goes back to the twins. He hasn't been, very good at all. Byron Buxton's been, I haven't even played him in center field. He's been a DH. He hasn't hit. Um, so yeah, it's again, those are the kind of teams, the Mariners, they got to clean up, um, but it's going to be low scoring games, right? Two good starting rotation. So they got to figure out how to scratch across some runs. But when you're playing Detroit, Minnesota, anybody in that AL central, you have to win those series. Yeah. Well, we will as, as Mike said, get to see a lot of them as they'll be back next week as well. Um, David, I wanted to know, especially growing up here and being a fan of the team, did you make it out for the All-Star game last week? That's a long story. I did oh, no. not make it out <laughs> oh, no. there. No. So, <laughs> Were you able to go to the, the first one here? I did, yeah. Back oh, in 2001, cool. I went. And, of course, you know, that was about the peak of Mariner baseball, right? I think they had eight, eight All-Stars uh, that year. Of course, that was the great season. Hey, when I was a kid... 
I even went to the All-Star game as a fan in 1979. Okay. Which uh, one of that's one of the great All Star games of all time. And as a kid, I was devastated when the National League rallied, the evil National League rallied <laughs> late innings to beat the American League. I was crushed as a ten year old. <laughs> uh, kind of want to ask you about that though. What do you, so this was uh, because there wasn't much going on last week. Of course, we kind of dove into it with the home run derby when Julio kind of stole the show in the first round with his forty one, but then. And he loses in the second round, and it seemed by the end that uh, Vlad and Rosarena were just exhausted. Do you like the current home run derby format? Do you think they should go back to the old way? Is there there's something else you'd rather see, or is it just, hey, this is what it is, and we deal with the good and the bad? Yeah, you know, having been to most all-star games over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, the current format's way better than it used to be. It really had turned into a kind of a slog when they just – you would you have ten outs yeah. or some, whatever, however they counted it. So yeah, it's a good format. Obviously, fatigue <laughs> seems to be the overriding factor here. No doubt, Julio just—he was too good. He wore himself out by hitting too many home runs. Um, yeah, I don't know if they could figure out a way to you know stretch a few more commercial breaks in between rounds. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure ESPN would love more commercials. Um, not great for the fans in the stadium. Um, how about this? I saw a story today about doing like a veteran old timers home run derby or something. What if between rounds you bring out the old guys, you know, to have a little derby so then the players still in it have a little more rest. The fans can hey, would do you like to see Ken Griffey Jr. in a home run derby? You know, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. So maybe they do that to give the players a little more rest. That's, like yeah. that right, that's a great idea. Well, uh, speaking of sluggers, uh, have you been paying attention to what Mike Ford's been doing here? <laughs> it's uh, so, It's been really fun to watch, but I, I don't know how sustainable it is. What are your thoughts on Mike Ford? I don't know either, but I know I'm on a text chain with some Mariner, uh, you know, fan friends of mine. And when he was still down in Tacoma, I'm like, they got to call this guy up. <laughs> AJ Pollock's not hitting. Whoever else they were DHing wasn't hitting. Like, Call this guy up. He has a long track record of hitting in the minors. I think he came through Seattle, was it last year, two years ago for Mm -hmm. a a few games. Um, He can hit. It's one of those guys, he just needs an opportunity. Is he this good? No, he's not going to keep slugging 700 or whatever. But (laughs) um, you got to roll with him because he's their best, basically their best hitter right now, right? Isn't that crazy? Um, You know, you guys might not remember this guy, but the Mariners had a guy just like Mike Ford back in the 80s, Ken Phelps, you know, a local kid. I think he's from from Seattle. Anyways, he was a career triple-A slugger. The Mariners got him at when he was like 30, 31 years old. He had three or four great years for Seattle. Of course, they traded him for Jay Buhner. But sometimes those older triple-A guys just need an opportunity, and it's good to see Mike Ford uh, getting another one and performing. Yeah, it has been a, a lot of fun and almost a, like, oh, yeah, all right, well, Mike Ford's just going to be the ninth inning guy, but I guess <laughs> you're right. In the, in the overall course of the season, you maybe don't want Mike Ford to be your most consistent <laughs> clutch hitter, no. but yeah, it's kind of summed up the, the way the season's gone. Yeah, and look, you know, again, the Mariners, they didn't do a good job of solving the DH problem after having problems at that position last year. I wrote an article on this two weeks ago. I don't know why 
teams are so reluctant just to sign a DH, you know, rather than just shuffling guys in and out. You know, J.D. Martinez was out there in the offseason, Justin Turner. In retrospect, I'm sure Jerry Depoto would say, yeah, I probably should have signed one of those guys because A.J. Pollock just hasn't been the answer. Um, but sometimes you got to get lucky and hope a guy like Mike Ford gives you the, you know, three best months of his career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great stuff, David. Thank you. Uh, appreciate the time and appreciate the insight as always. Yep. Yeah. We caught up with uh, David Schoenfield yesterday. And I know usually on this show, we hear from Jeff Passan on Tuesdays, but Mora, he, he gave you an update yesterday and then tweeted out that his back was literally broken, actually. Kind of a funny tweet and a typical pass in humor. Uh, your colleague, Brady, who I know you you guys don't really interact, two different sports, but uh, Jeff Passan, yeah, he said, breaking my back. So not a good time to be a broadcaster, a writer. This All-Star break was a very painful one for guys in baseball. But, yes, Jeff Passan will not be joining us today on the show. Uh, hopefully he's okay by next week. Sounds very scary. A tree fell on him during a big storm in Kansas City. Yeah, I was going to say, did you see the picture of the tree limb? It was huge. Uh, He was trying to clear some debris, but he said, you can guarantee that he will be turning it into a bat. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. (laughs) I I also saw his tweet and he was talking about how some of his, you know, trade deadline tweets might be fueled by some (laughs) painkillers. So uh, you got to watch out for that. But uh, gosh, that's another instance, like scary deal where it sounds like it, it was bad, but could have been a lot worse. And so thankfully he's OK. Well, you were saying that you've had it happen before on a golf course, right? Not on you guys, but just you have seen trees and limbs kind of yeah. fall when you've been playing. Yeah. And the wind I remember, it was like last not even that long ago playing at Trophy Lake, uh, driving up to the green and on a windy day and a tree limb pretty big one falls like right in front of our golf cart. And so just think a couple seconds difference and that's fallen on. It probably wouldn't have hurt us. Hopefully it's because you're in a cart where it's kind of closed, at least on the top. But yeah, uh, those tree limbs can do some damage. So it's a scary deal for Jeff Passan. Did that throw off your concentration? I mean, how was the shot after you yeah, watched I'd, the tree limb just I'd, almost fall on you? I'd like to blame every bad shot I've hit <laughs> since then on that. Yeah. Do you and uh, have you ever played golf with bump? Have you have played around with no, him? Yet? No, no, okay. we need to make that happen. No, I know he's he's it sounds like he golfs about as much as I do. I was so. about to say, yeah, between uh the, all the golfers at this station and then you around here, there needs to be some kind of little tournament happening or yeah. some kind of bragging rights for some, so. Yeah, well, we used to do back when I was working here, they do 710 day at mm. Druids Glen, which is always a really fun event and uh got to play with some some coworkers back then, but yeah, bring back 710 day. That's what I say. There Even we go. though it, the problem is it's no longer seven ten, so <laughs> it's uh, it's still seven ten. We just okay. Seattle sports is yeah. you know the preferred nomenclature, right. but also another problem is now it's always kind of right during a baseball game. Yeah. It's a weekday usually. Sometimes you get it on the weekend, but yeah, it's tough. Hey, maybe you can help organize it. Spe- oh, spearhead yeah. that. Count me in. Count okay. me in for that. Well, we do have a couple minutes here, and we're going to get into this more at seven thirty, uh, and then again with Jeremy Fowler at nine forty five. But ESPN's comprehensive rankings of every position, the top 10 in every position. Uh, It's now complete. The wide receiver list is out and the Seahawks finally have a representative. We we thought it would happen. And Maura and I yesterday said, okay, DK Metcalf has to be on here, right? And he is, he's number eight, barely cracks it because it's a loaded wide receiver group. I mean, you're looking down the list and yeah, you have Justin Jefferson, number one, Devontae Adams, number two, and Jamar Chase, number three, Tyreek Hill's number four. I mean, those are good wide receivers. DK Metcalf getting there at eight. Uh, it is a slip down from last year where his positional ranking was number four. But if 
Feels like he does deserve that spot. Was he it? number four last That's year? That's what it said. Oh, sorry. Highest ranking number four. Last year's ranking number 10. So he actually, he moves up yeah. from last year. Are you surprised by that? I know the, the production kind of hot and cold, but feels like by sheer talent and potential alone, he's a top four. 10 wide receiver. Yeah, I, I thought he would be in the top 10. And, you know, these these things, these top 10 rankings are always interesting because, it, you know, it's easy to say, like, oh, well, player X has got to be in the top 10. How, how could he not be? And then you look at who else made the list. Like, if that guy doesn't make the top 10, you look at who else does, and it starts to make sense, right? Like, oh, that guy's pretty good, too. Like, yeah, there, there's there's 10 other players that you could say are better than them. And I think especially at wide receiver, that's just such a loaded position in the NFL. Uh, but I, I thought that he would crack the top 10. There's some other guys that I were a little bit surprised uh, that didn't make it. Quandre Diggs, probably the most surprising, just coming off the consecutive Pro Bowls uh, and being a guy who's you know pretty established. And it's not like nobody knows about Quandre Diggs anymore. Um, so he was probably the most surprising omission from the top 10. He did get an honorable mention, which means uh, – or no, he – yeah, he got an honorable mention, which means, you know, several of the, you know, evaluators or players or coaches that Jeremy Fowler pulled for this deal did, you know, put him in their top 10, but just not enough to actually land in the final top 10. And you know, my last thought on this for now is like this thing that Jeremy does is so cool because this is not these are not Jeremy's rankings. This is not a reporter coming up with these rankings. Um, it's not, you know, like the typical power rankings that you see are a bunch of reporters, you know, observers voting on it. Uh, these are people who are actually in the NFL, coaches, uh, talent evaluators who get paid to watch every single play of football games and, and know what they're seeing and evaluating way more than somebody like me does. Uh, and it's players who are actually on the field playing against these guys. So again, these are not Jeremy's rankings. These are, these are the opinions of the people who are actually in this thing, uh, you know, giving Jeremy their opinions and Jeremy is sort of compiling them and he's got a ranking system uh, and everything. So th- this is the best kind of evaluation. You know, it's not pro football focus. That's using some arbitrary, you know, formula for giving arbitrary grades. Um, I'm going to bite my tongue now and not say anything more about PFF, but th- this is like the ultimate ranking system. I think it sounds incredibly comprehensive and that's why I'm Interested to catch up with Jeremy and kind of get his insight on how long this actually takes because you mentioned everything they do to kind of get these rankings. And then Jeremy Fowler in his uh, kind of in his previews when he sets up the stakes for every ranking, he gives an explanation and he said we had several ties. So they make additional phone calls and they make follow ups to make sure they get the best, most uh, thorough process of this. And, yeah, it seems like it's a full off season adventure yeah and then you know when to do something like this uh to pull as many people as i'm sure he pulled for this you've got to be really plugged in and jeremy is one of the more plugged in reporters that i know and so i'm looking forward to talking to him i always look forward to this ranking every year because again it's the most comprehensive way of you know ranking players that's not just you know looking up stats and and you know trying to go off of the one or two games per year that that i might see of a player's people who are actually involved at the closest level possible who are giving their opinions on this stuff. Well, well, we'll dive into what all of those mean for the Seahawks. And when you stack them side by side for the 49ers and Seahawks, how it looks, that's going to come up at 7.30. But uh, up next, the one position that has had some issues, and really it came to light yesterday when the franchise tag deadline came and went, and 
Some high-profile running backs didn't sign long-term deals. What's happening with running backs in the NFL? Dig into that next year on the Brock and Salk Show. It's Mike Lefko and Brady Henderson in. This is Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.